0: Well, it's hard to believe that there are only seven days until Christmas, and we don't want to miss it. You might be saying, Well, Pastor John, how would that even be possible to miss Christmas? But let me just share that there are many, many people in this world that will miss it. They might celebrate the holiday, and They might celebrate some of the festivities that are even associated with the holiday. Yet only when you are spiritually grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ can you celebrate the birth of the Savior and the redemption that is ours in the gospel. Amen, church? Amen. And that is how we prepare our hearts. A true Christmas, as we've been learning in this sermon series, causes us to look beyond the worldly mirage of make-believe and materialism to the truths that anchor the soul when it comes to a real celebration. The truths that have anchored us so far involved us looking at the light behind the lights and the tree behind the trees. And if you weren't with us, we record all of our messages. You can go to our church website and you can listen to those past messages at a later point, but today we're going to continue to calibrate our hearts spiritually as we consider the color behind the colors. Christmas is filled with many vibrant colors. All you have to do is take a walk through your local neighborhood and chances are you'll see a vast array of different colors of Christmas lights, decorations, and ornaments, red, green, purple, Yellow, gold, you name it. There's even pink lights now and pink decorations to uh, celebrate breast cancer awareness along with the holiday. And then you have your choice of Christmas colors when it comes to wrapping paper and the patterns. And there are enough choices to make your head spin. And you may have even spent some time thinking about what colors you were going to wear to your work Christmas party last week or this coming week or maybe you thought about what colors we're going to wear as a family for our family Christmas photo there are innumerable options yet I believe there's one color that should capture our attention more than the rest a color that is most significant as we spiritually prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christmas. And we're going to hear about it in this message and our passage found in Isaiah chapter 1. And I want to invite you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 1. The theme of the book of Isaiah is salvation, which makes it more than appropriate as we prepare for the birth of the Savior. Because of the messianic prophecies and the emphasis on Christ throughout Isaiah, it's often been referred to as the fifth gospel. The first 39 chapters focusing on wrath and redemption, and the final 27 chapters focusing on redemption and grace. Our passage today is found in Isaiah chapter 1, which falls into the wrath section of the book. The prophet Isaiah ministered during a turbulent time in Israel's history. The nation had abandoned the way of the Lord and was living in open sin and idolatry. And the opening verses leading up to our passage provide a snapshot of their rebellion and sin. If you want to track along, verse 2 introduces the people's open rebellion against the Lord. Verse 3 describes their refusal to acknowledge God spiritually which made them look more foolish than farm animals. Yes, even worse than donkeys, according to God's word. Verse 4 features their spiritual condition and how they had abandoned and despised the Lord. Verses 5 and 6 reveals that they had refused to respond to the Lord's chastisement and were spiritually sick and faint of heart. Verses 7 and 8 disclose that violence filled the whole land and the people were burning their cities. Verses 9 and 10 share how frightening their moral collapse was. Their vileness is actually compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in verses 11 through 15, it reveals that their religious services and offerings were an abomination to the Lord. They made offerings to the Lord, yet kept making light of their sin and dismissing their need for true repentance. As one pastor shared, It sounds as though these events could have been lifted straight from the headlines of today's newspaper. We are in as bad a spiritual shape as ancient Israel, end quote. What will God's response be? Again, this is in the wrath section of Isaiah. So should we expect that God is just going to lower the boom on Israel? Let's read it to find out. Isaiah Chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this in the New American Standard. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Often when we read Old Testament passages, it's common for us to miss the grace that we see God regularly extending to Israel. He gives them so much grace. After all their filth, their open rebellion, their corruption, their idolatry, and Behavior that was comparable to Sodom and Gomorrah, he would have been more than justified to just judge them right on the spot. Instead, what we see here are dirty, vile, wicked people who need to be cleansed, being pursued by the Lord, invited to come to him for the cleansing that they so desperately need a loving, gracious God calling them to repentance and a a principle that still applies to today. God is still inviting dirty, sinful people to come to him for the cleansing they need, amen? And as I've shared before, whenever we see the reoccurring theme of sin with the nation of Israel, we must not lose sight of the fact that Israel starts with what letter? I. 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 What principles does God want us to take away as we look at this passage? What sins in your walk are you currently struggling with the most? Are you prepared to be selfless or selfish this Christmas season? How are you doing in your battle with fleshly lusts? Are you fully engaged in the battle for your purity or are you currently making sinful compromises? How are you doing and believing the best about others? Are you finding yourself being critical or judgmental of certain people as you think about spending time with family and in-laws over the holiday season? Where did I get these questions you asked? I just spent a little time examining my own heart before the Lord, preparing, preparing for Christmas. Listen, if you're a true follower of Christ, sin, no matter what form it comes in, it will quench the joy and the fellowship that you have with God. It will quench the joy and the fellowship that you have with other believers. And will quench the joy that God wants you to have as you serve him. Our unconfessed sin will lead to a place of isolation and our joy will be compromised. Joy, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And it's also a good litmus test because it shows us how much sin is impacting our lives. It truly does. We see evidence of this with the psalmist throughout the Psalter. When sin prevailed in their lives, their souls were what? Downcast and despairing. And when spiritual cleansing and repentance took place, like David in Psalm 51, what did he say? He knew that it would return to him the joy of his salvation. Oh, church, oh, that nothing would stand in the way of the fullness of joy of our celebration. Nothing. And our study today is gonna to serve as an invitation for us to be spiritually cleansed for Christmas. And it's also gonna prepare us for our celebration of communion. And there are three principles that God would have us see. Three principles from God's invitation so that you can celebrate the joy of being spiritually cleansed. The first principle that you and I can draw upon is this. God's invitation will comfort you. Look at the beginning of verse 18. The Lord says, come now. Let us reason together. Question for you. When you sin against the Lord, what do you typically think his response is? ever thought about that how do you think the lord responds do you think that he's immediately angry and disappointed with you do you think that he's automatically regretting that he ever adopted you into his family do you think he's he just can't wait to grab you and get his hands around your neck and strangle you and chastise you what do you think on the other end of the spectrum do you think he's casual about our sin that he really doesn't care or that he's indifferent that somehow since i'm in christ and the debt has been paid for my sin that the lord will just treat it lightly this is an important spiritual reality to properly understand because we sin against god regularly And as I mentioned before, it does impact our fellowship with him. It does impact our fellowship with our our fellow believer. It does impact our hearts as he desires for us to serve him with joy and to serve him with gladness. And the Lord starts with this simple command. Come now and let us reason together. This is Yahweh, the God who saves graciously and compassionately inviting his covenant people to come to him. Again, people who have been wayward, who have rebelled against him, who have not been walking in faithfulness. This is amazing because God knows how they have been living. He knows how they have treated his law. He knows their infidelity to him and the depths of their sins. He knows how wicked they have acted. Yet he still loves them and reaches out to them to extend grace and mercy to them if they will repent. The Lord says, let us reason together. This is such an interesting word in the Hebrew. Sometimes it's rendered, entered, enter a lawsuit or let us test each other. But the basic meaning of the term is to determine what is right. Those who are parents in the room, or those who were fortunate enough to be raised by Christian parents, know the difference between parents reacting in the flesh when their kids disobey versus responding in the spirit when they disobey. Parenting in the flesh sounds something like this You did what? You gotta be kidding me. How many times must I tell you? Seriously, you did it again? You just wait until we get home. At least that's what it sounds like to me when I'm parenting in the flesh. And you want to know what? If we're not careful, we can begin to think that that is how God responds. We can start to think that that is how he responds to us that he's fed up, that he's had enough of me. He can't wait to make my life as miserable as he possibly can. That just like us, he reaches for the rod right away and he can't wait to strike us down. God does not think like us. Oh, hear me, church. God does not think like us. In fact, it's gonna be Isaiah 55, 54 chapters later in Isaiah 55 that's even gonna share That his thoughts are not like our thoughts, nor are his ways like our ways. God doesn't react irrationally like we do in the flesh sometimes. Rather, he says, come now, my son. Let's determine what is right. Come now, my daughter. Let's determine what is right. And ironically, this is what shepherding our children as believing parents in the spirit is supposed to look like. We need to reach for reasoning before we automatically reach for the rod. You you tracking with me? And that discipline, as it relates to disciplining your your children, that is never divorced of instruction and reasoning and talking to them and helping them understand. In fact, it's very easy to allow anger to consume, right, and to potentially discipline children in the, in the flesh, right? But yet we need to be grounded, and this is when we're led by the Spirit, it will cause us not only to sit down and explain and draw out understanding for the reason why they're getting consequences, then for them to actually still receive the consequences, but then also a follow-up to help them understand that this is how you honor God. This is what God desires and how, you, how he desires you to honor him. This isn't about mom. This isn't about dad. You point them vertical in your parenting. We call them to ourselves and determine with them what honoring God is supposed to look like. And God calls his children to sober-mindedness and to think rationally about our sin. And when we see this clearly, God's invitation will comfort us. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Where there's a second principle from God's invitation from this opening verse. First, God's invitation will comfort you. And secondly, God's invitation will cleanse you. And here you see the remarkable contrast between the crimson stain of your sin and the radiant purity of his cleansing. Look at the middle of verse 18. Though your sins are as scarlet, They will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. This is God's promise to Israel if they will respond to his invitation. All of their sins will be washed away. And if you look back at the end of verse 15, it tells us that their hands are stained with, literally full of blood. And this is symbolic of their impurities, and uncleanness in the sight of the Lord. And here the attention needs to be drawn to the crimson stain of your sin and mine, which is the first subpoint under this second principle. And the words scarlet and crimson refer to the dye that was extracted from both shellfish and a certain type of uh, of insect. Okay, and those that uh, recall a past sermon, I remember sharing that. Even Lydia is related to the, the, the color purple um, and the color of royalty that the dye was actually extracted uh, from shellfish. And you guys will remember that message. But then there was also, and that's how they got the royal color of purple. And then uh, they would use um, this other, an insect that offered uh, the color that would provide it to be scarlet or crimson. And when white garments were dyed with these colors, they could never be made white again. These colors forever stained the fabric. Once they were dyed, no human means could ever return them to their pure state. And here, God describes the sins of Israel as being like a garment stained scarlet and crimson. They were dirty and stained with sin that they could never remove on their own. And trust me, every one of Isaiah's listeners would have understood this picture. This illustration would have grasped them, and it needs to grasp us. Only responding to the Lord's invitation and faith and repentance could they be cleansed. Only God could remove this stain of their sin and restore them back into fellowship with him. And the same is true for us. Nobody, right? Nobody can remove the stain of sin on their own. The scarlet and crimson stain of their own sin can only be removed by God. Cleansing them in faith and repentance. King David recognized God's cleansing power in Psalm 51 too when he cried out in faith and repentance, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What would the result be? Well, a few verses later, if you go down in Psalm 51, in verse seven, David says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David recognized the radiant purity of God's cleansing power, which the prophet Isaiah features in Isaiah 118. If Israel would just respond to the Lord's invitation and repent of their sins, God has the power to make them whiter than snow and purer than wool. He can take the stain of their sin away and make them clean again. One commentator shares the metaphor of sins as an indelible scarlet red crimson sign of guilt from a blood stain is contrasted with the unstained pure white color of snow and wool that symbolizes forgiveness of sins. The imagery employed conveys the idea that through atonement, God removed the sins and their stain. He did not just cover them up or hide them, end quote. And then he makes a reference to two verses that reflect this reality that Israel would have cherished. Psalm 103, verse 12, which says, as far as as far as the east is from the West, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And those who are familiar with this the understanding of this when we consider the, the globe right if you were to uh, head west indefinitely and, in, and head east indefinitely, there's no possibility of you ever going crossing paths again. It's it's gone. You're completely separated, right? But if you do, the same thing doesn't work north and south, right? Because even on the globe, you can head north, but eventually you're going to take you south. So God uses east and west to to properly convey what he wants us to understand when he's removed our transgressions. Micah 7, 19 and 20 is the other passage that he Reflects upon, which says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Again, cherished, cherished verses by the nation of Israel. And believers today are even more blessed. Why? Because we have seen the fulfillment of the Savior being born. We understand the light behind the lights, which reflects God's purity. The stain stain of our sin has also been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ because we understand the tree behind the tree. Christ's blood cleanses the believer, and gives us perfect, spotless righteousness. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it this way. See how red your guilt is? Mark the scarlet stain. If you were to wash your soul in the Atlantic Ocean, you might make red every wave that washes all its shores, and yet the crimson spots of your transgression would still remain. But plunge into the fountain, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's, Emmanuel's veins, and in an instant you are whiter than snow. Every speck, spot, and stain of sin is gone and gone forever. End quote. It is a radiant purity credited to your account that will be yours forever. For those who have trusted in Christ alone, it will be your dress for all eternity. And we saw a glimpse of this when we studied Jesus' transfiguration back in Mark chapter 9. And you'll recall um, in, in Mark 9.3, it said, And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And all God's people said, wow. It's a radiant white because it's a radiant purity. Every year at Christmas, the most popular Christmas song played worldwide is Irving Berlin's White Christmas. And the infamous song begins with the lyrics, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know. And it reflects Berlin's desire to reminisce while seeing snow at Christmas time. And I shared in a past message that according to Wikipedia, the song may have been inspired and even recorded right here in California when he was in Hollywood on a a retreat. How ironic, eh? The truth is that around the globe, many people associate this holiday season with either the reality or the dream of having a white Christmas. And as I've shared in the past, what might surprise you is that God himself wants believers to celebrate a white Christmas too. It doesn't involve snowfall. How does it happen? It happens when we see and understand the color behind the colors. Red is the color of Christmas. Why? Why? Well every time we see red at Christmas time it should remind us of two things. First, when we see red it should remind us of the crimson stain of our sin and that without God's intervention we would be lost and without hope. Nobody could ever remove that stain of sin or make themselves pure enough to stand in the presence of a thrice holy God. And second, when we see red It should remind us of the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Only the atoning work of Christ's blood can cleanse a repentant sinner and provide the perfect spotless righteousness required to stand in a holy God's presence. Listen to what this pastor shares. It's not because Santa wears red or because we wrap our presents in red paper or attach red bows, on top of holly wreaths, or put red bulbs and lights on our trees. Red is the color of Christmas for a different reason altogether, and it doesn't fit in with the way our culture celebrates December 25th. The Christmas color of red isn't random. It is the color of the blood that flowed from the wounds of Jesus Christ as he died for the sins of the world, making available to you the greatest gift you could ever receive in a billion years. This is truly the only gift that literally keeps on giving, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Augustine put it best, the Son of God became Son of Man so that you who were sons of men might be made sons of God. Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again from the dead so that you could come into a relationship with God, receive the gift of eternal life, and live a life of meaning and purpose. That is the real message of Christmas let every glimpse of red remind you of the greatest gift of all, end quote. Thank you for enduring that quote, but it's right on point. It is the color of Christmas, and it is truly God's invitation to cleanse you, but you have to respond, which leads us to our third and final principle. God's invitation will Comfort you, God's invitation will cleanse you, and lastly, God's invitation will challenge you. And it does so in two straightforward ways that are revealed in verses 19 and 20. First, to walk in obedience, and second, by warning you of rebellion. And verse 19 and 20 are closely tied together in the Hebrew. Look at verse 19. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. Now verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. It's clear. And this is the sowing and reaping principle of the Old Testament. There was a divine blessing that came with Israel's obedience. Eating the best of the land reflects God's faithful providence to them that would come through their obedience. There were also consequences if they rebelled and sin would jeopardize their protection. And so we need to see this. We've already confirmed a resolution and restoration of fellowship between God and his people is dependent upon God removing the stain, right, of their sin. And that's been featured for us in verse 18 but it also involves the people's willingness to turn from sin and rebellion against God to faith and obedience to God. Verse 19 deals with the human choice to submit and follow God and reveals that there'll be great blessing for all who walk in obedience, while verse 20 offers a warning and addresses the choice of selfish rebellion against God's will. And there are no other choices when, when, when it comes down to it, right? There, there are no other choices. People will either serve God or reject God. This is true in the Old Testament. It's just as true in the New Testament. One commentator wrote, In the New Testament, Jesus is just as clear and uncompromising when he says that people will either serve God or their own desires in Matthew 6.24. People have to choose and their choices will determine the, their eternal fate. End quote. So true. And <laughs> This week, I had the opportunity to um, go out across the street. Um, those unfamiliar with our church setting, there's a train station right here, the Metro Link, right across the street. And um, I had uh, some of the extra church invitations for the Christmas series that we were doing, and I wanted to go out, and there were people standing there waiting for the train, so I just thought I'd take a couple minutes and, and go out and 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 pass out some of the invitations to people, and you can imagine the response. Well, actually, I want to share with you that some people, when they saw me coming, smiled, and as I reached out and I handed them an invitation they took it from my hand and they looked at it and I explained listen i serve at the church right across the street just wanna let you know that we have christmas don't know if you have a church home but we would like to invite you to come to church and some of the people thanked me very much some even shared that they had their church home and i would ask where it was right and others said well maybe i maybe we'll see you Maybe we'll see you right but that wasn't the response of everyone, right? In fact, some people, when they, they they saw me me coming, one gentleman actually put his hand up, said, "Nope, nope, I'm not interested. I'm not interested." And I said, "I'm not selling anything. It's just an invitation." He's saying, "Nope, nope, nope, not interested. Not interested." I think he might have a past of being uh, bombarded with telemarketers or something because his. But, it, but but it's a reflection, right? He he wanted nothing to do with the invitation. And so I made my way. I started at this side, and I just you know made my way all the way down. And then the train ended up coming, and most of the people were getting on. And the people who get off are, like, sprinting for their cars because they're trying to beat the, 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 the traffic rush out. And so I had these, um, you know, a good number of leftover invitations in my hand. And so I thought to myself, well, we need to, you know, there's actually a story behind that. that goes, it goes all the way back to Kinko's. Um, it's kind of funny, so I sh- I, I'll just share it real quick. They, they, they actually made a misprint, on, uh, and, and they were supposed to allow the invitations on the backside to bleed out so that you didn't see any white around the, the borders. It was supposed to just, and so they, they recognized that they had made a mistake, and they said, oh, it's no problem, that's what you ordered, we're going to reprint them for you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm standing there. And, and I said, well what are you going to do with because they had already made 200 of them and cut them and they, they looked nice to me and, and I said, well what are you gonna do with those?" And he's like, oh, we're just gonna toss them." And I said, well don't toss them." I said, you know just you, we'll use them and and he's like, well, he goes, technically we can't give anything away we have to you know charge and I said, well, just put a, put a few extra bucks on there and he did, and so we got twice as many invitations. So, so I just want to give you that, that, that background of the story. So here I am holding some of these extra invitations, and I decide, well, I'm just going to walk down the row of cars here, and I'll just put them on, on the windows. And I thought that, you know, some people, and I was just praying the Lord was going to use it, you know, And I thought, well, some people are probably going to think that they got a parking ticket. And maybe they'll be so relieved that it's an invite to a Christmas (laughs) service and not a parking ticket. You know, just trusting the the, the Lord with it. But one guy had gotten off the train. And I saw him. He was in the distance. And he was coming towards his car. And I'm putting the invitations on the car. And he sees me. And I'm not kidding you. He starts running to his car. And he sprints to his car. And he's trying to get in. And I'm a few cars away. And he's trying to back out, right, and get away as quickly as he can. And he, did, you know, and I was like, do I look that threatening? I was like, do I have a gun on me that somebody placed or what? why? Are you? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a big guy. I'm, maybe I'm a little intimidating, bald, you know, whatever. Oh. And then it dawned on me, you know what? This is the response, right? This is God's invitation to all people. This is God extending his hand and providing an invitation to all people. And yes, by his grace and in his goodness, he gives hearts to respond. And we get to take him by the hand. And we're so thankful for that. But some people are so busy running in the rat race of this world that they have no time and they have no interest to receive anything that God has to say or offer. God's invitation is clear. It warrants a response, and a person must be willing to receive it. Maybe you're someone here today, and you've spent your whole life running from God. You're still marked with the scarlet stains of your sin. You have not responded to God's invitation to cleanse you. Will today be the day? Will you quit running from God and lay down your fears and lay down your failures and receive his comforting, compassionate, gracious willingness to cleanse you from your sin and all your unrighteousness. Ask him for forgiveness and he will. Ask him to cleanse you and he will. Respond to the gospel and he will impute to your account the perfect spotless righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a spotless righteousness that is so radiant and so awesome that there aren't even words in the English language or all the languages of the world to describe it adequately. That's why we'll need an eternity to praise him. And that will be the perfect spotless righteousness that you, unbeliever, can be dressed in if you will respond. Will you respond to the gospel of grace? Maybe you're a believer here today. And. You haven't been walking in faithfulness to the Lord. Like Israel, you've been rebelling and compromising the integrity of your walk. Like Israel, you have pursued sinful lusts that have dishonored the Lord. Maybe it's led to you to isolate yourself from the Lord and perhaps broken your fellowship with another believer. Will you respond to the Lord's invitation to be cleansed? And Jesus stands ready and willing in the grace of the gospel to wash your feet and to cleanse you, to renew you from whatever it is that you might have stepped in, in your walk, right? Jesus, who took the basin, who recognized the fact that even with the perfect spotless righteousness that you're credited to, even when you walk in the impurities of this world, there's still going to be stuff that gets stuck to your feet, right? And we come, and we come, and he cleanses us. And he washes our feet. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. May the color behind the colors lead us all to the cleansing that we so desperately need. Amen. Amen. Please pray with me. And let's prepare our hearts to receive communion as the worship team comes up. Our Father in heaven, we bow our heads and we are so grateful for the invitation that you extend and that your hand is out and that you are willing to receive those who would respond to your call. You're calling out. And you use us to call out to unsaved family and friends. And Lord, just as we prepare our hearts to even witness to those that are unsaved in our families, sometimes it can be so tempting for us to think that if they don't want to have the conversation or reject the truths that we're trying to share, that they're rejecting our invitation. Oh, let us not lose sight that it's your invitation. It's your righteousness. It's your willingness. It's your power that you are willing to cleanse the sinner that will turn and repent. We know many in our families, many of our friends and coworkers and fellow students, they need you. They need to... Repent of their unbelief. They need to turn and trust completely in Christ. And we pray, Father, that even during this Christmas season, you would be drawing them to a church, whether that's Cornerstone or another gospel lighthouse, where they could hear the invitation for redemption and cleansing. Would you do that work? And now for us and our church family, as we prepare for this celebration of communion, this beautiful ordinance which you have ordained for the church that reminds us that we still sin and though the penalty of sin has been broken because of christ that there is a very real presence and a power of sin that can cause us to be tripped up that can dirty our feet and that we need to be washed again that we need to be renewed Would you allow us to have that time as a church family so that this can be an absolutely joy-filled Christmas as we exalt the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf? That is our heart's desire. We commit the remainder of this time to you. We ask that you'll bless our celebration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.